Hello and welcome to this, the seventh episode of the Nintendo Life podcast, hosted as always by me, James Newton, aka Prosody on the website, aka Daddy Newts on the old Twitter. Coming up this month, we've got not one, not two, but three exclusive interviews as we chat to the producers of Dead Space Extraction and Spore Hero, and we also grab a quick chat with Baby Dave from EA Sports soundtrack rockers Pint Shot Riot. We've also got a fantastic competition where you can win a brand new Wii console and one of five copies of Metroid Prime Trilogy, courtesy of our friends over at Nintendo UK. There's also the usual news and reviews roundup, so let's get into the nitty gritty pretty quickly. News-wise, August was probably most notable for Gamescom over in Cologne, and although other console companies had some big announcements to make, Nintendo were disappointingly quiet. Some developers released new shots or videos of their Nintendo titles though. Ubisoft put out a particularly ninja-tastic video for Red Steel 2, showing off some of their new fight mechanics, including a shockwave move and some all-new finishes too. And speaking of first-person shooters, Activision surprised many people by announcing their porting Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare to the Wii, due to land on the same day as other consoles, including the DS of all machines, receives Modern Warfare 2. Despite the fears that Wii owners will receive a cut-down version of the classic FPS, Activision and Treyarch have insisted it will contain all the maps, modes and mayhem found in high-definition versions, although naturally the graphics may take a little bit of a knock. From what we've seen so far, they are doing an admirable job of porting the game over, but we'll only know how successful they've been when the game is finished and released worldwide on November the 11th. The DS hasn't really had all that much new announced for it, sadly, although we did say release dates announced for Mario and Luigi 3, Bowser's Inside Story, which we expect to see hit Europe on October the 9th, along with Kingdom Hearts 358-2 days, and Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks is due to launch just under two months later, squeezing in just before Christmas on December the 4th. Aside from that, it's been a bit of a quiet old month really for news as we experience that traditional summertime lull before things go into absolute overdrive for the Christmas period. One publisher with a typically heavy lineup going into Christmas is EA, who are set to unleash the juggernauts of Need for Speed Nitro, Beatles Rock Band and FIFA 10 before Santa pops his shoes down your chimneys. Of all their Christmas lineup, though, Dead Space Extraction certainly stands out as one of their more interesting propositions. A first-person prequel to the stellar original launch last year, built from the ground up from the Wii and set to land in October this year. So when we received a phone call from EA asking if we wanted to interview one of the title's developers, we were so eager we nearly bit off their hands. Right, so right now I'm joined by Rich Briggs from EA's Visceral Studios in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us, Rich. Um, if you'd just like to introduce yourself first and then we'll get on with it, that would be absolutely fantastic. My name is Rich Briggs and I'm a producer on Dead Space. For Dead Space Extraction, I consulted with the dev team on some of the story elements and some of the gameplay mechanics. Fantastic, thanks. I'll go straight into it. With many gamers these days, have got a Wii console as well as 360 or PS3. Uh, how's Dead Space Extraction going to attract those who've already played the original Dead Space on another console? Well, Dead Space Extraction is an all-new prequel to the original Dead Space. So while we are positioning it as something that will enhance the overall Dead Space experience, it, it's a standalone game. You, know, you have some of the old enemies are returning, some of the old weapons are returning, but there are also completely new weapons, completely new enemies, and the entire storyline is completely unique. It tells the story of a group of survivors who are down on the Aegis 7 colony, and they are trying to survive while the initial infection is taking place. So again, it's a prequel to Dead Space, so you're going to see a lot of the things that happened in Dead Space be set up 
in extraction. And on top of that, it was developed exclusively from the ground up for the Wii. And so we really tried to make it take advantage of the platform strength. So whether that's having the drop-in and drop-out co-op gameplay, which is obviously perfect for the social nature of the Wii, or having the wide variety of actions that you're using with the innovative controls, because everyone knows that the nunchuck and the Wii Remote can make playing a game like this a lot of fun just based on having all sorts of different actions at your disposal. We really feel like it's a completely new way of, of playing a new type of game in the Dead Space franchise. It's pretty widely known that mature games so far have undersold on Wii, things like Mad World and uh, House of the Dead and Dead Rise and things like that. Uh, how do you think Dead Space is going gonna, is gonna to stand up? How is it going to reverse this, do you think? Well, first off, you know, we, we're really just focused on developing and building the best possible experience and the highest quality experience that we can. Obviously, to remain true to the Dead Space franchise, we're developing a mature rated game, um, but we think the quality and the innovation that we're bringing are, are really going to please fans of any type of action or shooter experience. And we're calling the game a guided first-person experience. So, you know, you mentioned a game like House of the Dead or some of the Resident Evil games, you know, we think that we're much more than just a a rail shooter. And the reason for that are are a couple of things. Number one, we're bringing the original Dead Space mechanics like stasis and TK and, of course, strategic dismemberment. And that that adds a lot of depth to the the strategy, uh, a lot of depth to the combat. We also change up the action with zero-gravity segments. We have times where you're looking around in the environment to try and find clues or information or pick up weapon schematics. Uh, We also have puzzles in the form of welding and hacking games. Sometimes they're on their own, but other times you're actually trying to fend off enemies on one side of the screen while you're trying to hack through a door on the other side. So you have to really balance it. And finally, we have branching paths in most of the levels where you use your locator to choose your direction, and this leads to unique content and combat. You mentioned earlier a little bit about the cooperative uh, multiplayer, which, like I say, worked perfectly for Wii. Uh, But I just wondered, does it have any effect on the story, for example? Is there going to be any extra rewards or extra missions or anything for playing with a a second player? It will not change the outcome of the story. There are are a total of four playable characters, and so in the chapters where you have multiple people, you know, you'll be assumed to be controlling two of those characters. But it, it is drop in and drop out at, at, in any chapter, yeah. and we scale the difficulty. So while it won't change the story, it will change the gameplay experience of that chapter. So you know we'll increase the difficulty, throw more enemies at you, obviously throw more pickups at you as yeah. well. But that lets both players feel like they're in the driver's seat, so it's not like one guy is playing second fiddle or doesn't have anything to do. Both players are constantly challenged and constantly in the thick of combat. What's one thing that you would say about Dead Space Extraction that's going to surprise Wii owners? Because so far, I mean, obviously we haven't heard a lot about it, and a lot of people are expecting just a straightforward sort of first-person shooter. So what's one thing about Extraction you think that's really going to surprise them? I think people will be really surprised by how we deliver the horror. You know, obviously Dead Space is well-known for its atmosphere and, and, you know, its it's award-winning audio, and so we bring a lot of that to Extraction. It's got some very creepy environments some great audio that's going to make you think there's something behind you when there's not. But we went beyond that, and, and we really ratcheted up how we handled the dementia moment. If you remember in the original Dead Space, Isaac the hero had a couple of dementia flashes, but we didn't really integrate it very much in the story. Whereas with Extraction, we have an all-new visual treatment to the dementia moments. We have more of them, and they're deeper, and you actually have longer segments where it's actually affecting the gameplay. 
And having control of the camera, whether it's during that dimension moment or just during the, the normal gameplay, it really lets us set up the scare moments in the horror exactly how we want, treating it like a, it's a, you know, a very cinematic experience. So the way that we deliver the horror in some ways goes even beyond where we were with Dead Space. And I think, you know, most people call it a pretty scary game. So yeah. I think people are surprised at how well the horror comes through in a yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's surprising even for me to hear that you say uh, that it's going to take the horror a step further, because obviously normally you expect Wii games to take step downs in a lot of way. I mean, what was your attitude when you approached it to creating it for Wii? Well, since we knew we were going to have this guided first-person experience, we wanted to make sure that what we were showing you was, again, treated just like it was a horror movie. You know, in, in the original Dead Space, we had, we had some scary moments, and you know, like I said, I was a producer on that, so, and I actually worked on the horror and the scripted events. And we were very proud of how we had looked at triggers and you know, movement triggers, and we knew where the player was going to be. But at the end of the day, you can turn the camera around, and there's an enemy jumping out behind you, and yeah. the effect is completely lost if the player is looking in the wrong direction. Whereas here, you know, we have control of, of the camera for most of the gameplay. And combine that with our shaky cam kind of uh, filming style. It just makes it feel very gritty, very Blair Witch. You know, you'll, you'll be running down the hallway, and we can make the camera look over your shoulder and show you a glimpse of something coming out of the shadows at you. And then you're running forward again, and then you look over your shoulder, and it's gone, and then it's in front of you. You know, we can direct the camera to, and the movement to really script that sequence, like I said, just like a very cinematic horror experience. Yeah. I mean, I got the impression when I was playing, uh, I was playing Dead Space again the other day, that obviously I think it makes more references to films than it does to certain games. Um, and obviously hearing you mention Blair Witch, I mean, how, how do you see the whole sort of interactive film uh, genre? Do you think Dead Space is part of that, particularly with Extraction? You know, I think that as as entertainment becomes more sophisticated, that games are going to continue to look at all sorts of ways that they can improve and how they tell a story or, or, you know, or, or make a player feel tension or experience horror. So, you know, on, on the original Death Space, we absolutely looked at, you know, movies like the Aliens franchise yeah. and, you know, Event Horizon. And so we, we carried a lot of that over into Extraction, but then added, like I said, you know, the different camera techniques to really take that to, to another level. So, yes, I think that in addition to looking at what the competitive environment is with respect to games, you have to look at what people um, expect out of a horror experience, whether that's in a game or in a movie or, or in a book or anything else. I mean, we're, we don't close ourselves off to any influences. Obviously, we try and generate original content so people mm. don't think we're copying anything. But, you know, we, we read horror, we watch horror, we play horror, you know, and, and we get inspiration from all different places. Big, big thanks to Rich Briggs for his time and for answering our interview questions. And make sure you stay tuned to the podcast, as coming up later, we'll have two more interviews, including one with the producer of Spore Hero for Wii. First up, though, a bit of a reviews roundup. The really big one, in fact, as far as I'm aware, the only Nintendo game released at retail in the past 30 days, is Metroid Prime Trilogy, a single-disc compilation of some of the finest first-person adventure games ever seen. Our main man, Jonathan Walgren, took time out from his news-hounding schedule to blast some space pirates, and here's what he thought of the newly revamped Triple Pack. Take it away, John. It took eight years, a group of Texans, and a whole new perspective for space bounty hunter extraordinaire Samus Aran to return to consoles after Super Metroid. With Nintendo's new Play Control initiative, the company has given gamers another go at her 3D adventures with all the upgrades inherent with that series. For Trilogy, the core games have been left intact. No new puzzles to take advantage of motion controls, no grapple attack, nothing like that. 
What is new are beefed up visuals, now in 480p widescreen, the incorporation of Corruption's multicolored achievement unlockable system, which now stretches across all three games, and of course, the new controls, which is the big allure for longtime fans. Once considered the Wii Gold standard first person setup, its customization may seem meager in comparison to the conduit's smorgasbord of options. There's still the basic, standard, advanced aiming options to dictate the size of the pointer's dead zone, and you can swap shoot with jump and switch the visor and beam select buttons. What's here is enough to get the job done without the danger of over-tinkering to the point of making the game awkward to play, and it's still silky smooth. As a result, retrofitting the first pair with Corruption's fantastic scheme has rejuvenated what once felt somewhat clunky. Samus feels more agile and precise, and even things like navigating morph ball tunnels have become slicker thanks to the incorporation of Corruption's flick hop into the first two titles. All of this is wrapped inside a tight presentation that feels like a celebration of the series with me integration, classy transitional clips, and snazzy menus. The multiplayer is a little too archaic to win many new fans, but those that got a kick out of it on GameCube will enjoy the fluidity the new controls have given it. In short, if you haven't experienced these adventures before, you owe it to yourself to get on this, and series veterans can still find enough thrills and upgrades to make Trilogy a worthwhile endeavor. You probably won't be surprised to know that in his enthusiasm, John gave Metroid Prime Trilogy a rare 10 out of 10 score, putting it right up there with Super Mario Galaxy and Resident Evil 4 as the only Wii titles yet to receive a top rating at Nintendo Life. Metroid Prime Trilogy is already available in North America, and the European release is scheduled for this Friday, September the 4th. If you live in the UK and you fancy the chance of winning your very own copy and a brand new Nintendo Wii as well, make sure you stay tuned until the end of the show when we will have an exclusive competition with a first prize of a Wii console and a copy of the game, and four runners-up can also receive their very own Metroid Prime Trilogy. Keep it tuned here to find out how you can enter. Obviously, we'd like to cover the download stuff as well, but sadly on that front, we haven't exactly had a classic month, although one title that certainly ignited DSi is the fantastic and hopelessly addictive Flipnote Studio, the free flipbook-style animation creator released just a few short weeks ago. We reviewed it and gave it a stellar 9 out of 10, but rather than read out the review, I thought I would direct you to our DSiWare forum, where hundreds of our readers have posted their own flipnotes. It seems to me a much more engaging way to tell you how good the title is to show what can be created with it, rather than me tell you what to do. So if you want to check out some absolutely amazing flipnotes, head on over to nintendolife.com slash forums slash DSiWare and make sure you check out the topic cleverly entitled, Post Your Flipnote Animations Here. If you're a Wii downloader, of course there was really only one title that anyone was interested in over the past month. Sexy Poker. Now we've covered some really terrible titles on WiiWare in the past, but few are notorious as Gameloft's card-dealing, clothes-stealing poker game that fails by offering both a rubbish poker game and some half-baked semi-nude manga characters cleverly bolted on. Most of you even complained that our score of 2 out of 10 was too generous, which should tell you all you need to know about Sexy Poker, and I'm certainly not going to talk any more about it because this, this unclean feeling, it just is, it isn't coming up. Uh, oh yeah, but it wasn't all doom and gloom though. We had a bumper month of awesome reviews in August. Super Star Wars and Super Empire Strikes Back, both rated very well from our men Spencer McIlvain and Sean Aaron unleashed amazing reviews of GameCube titles Mr. Driller, Drill Land and Defender. The highlight of the month for many was our celebration of the Game Boy's 20th birthday with 20 outstanding reviews from Corby, Damien, Brody, Jonathan Case and Drake covering the great and the good from the Little Wonders back catalogue. There was Tetris, Super Mario Land 2, Mario Picross, Castlevania, Link's Awakening and much, much more. There is no way that I could cover all the reviews in this podcast. So, you know what I'm going to do instead? 
That's right. I'm going to point you over to Nintendo Life and the Retro tab, and then just click on Reviews, and they are all there for your delectation. So that's enough of the recap stuff. Let's get back to our interviews. I'm very lucky now to have Mathieu Cote on the line. Thanks for joining us, Mathieu. Uh, if we could get a quick introduction from you, then we'll get things started. Hi, I'm uh, Mathieu Cote. I'm uh, uh, one of the producers on Spore Hero uh, from the Montreal team. Why, why was the decision made? I mean, obviously, the original Spore, um, it sort of revolved around you could create your monster and evolve it. But with Spore Hero, you start with, obviously, a, a creature right from the start, fully evolved. Um, what, was the, what was the reason behind this decision? Well, the reason is, essentially, we wanted to do a game. Uh, we wanted to uh, restrain a little bit of the game. Uh, we didn't want to go from the single cell to the civilization game. Uh, we wanted to concentrate on the creature stage. And the other thing is we wanted to be able to tell a compelling story. Uh, we're really big Nintendo fans. It was important to us to have the Nintendo feel to it, the Nintendo humor. And uh, the, the whole thing needed a strong story behind it, which means that we had to get a little bit away from the PC. Uh, the way the PC treats uh, the whole thing is essentially you're... Uh, you're overlooking the evolution of a species from sort of a, a, a little removed from the whole thing. In our game, you really are inhabiting this one character. You're playing the role of this hero, and you're going to live the story, and you're going to connect with this one hero that you're going to evolve and change uh, throughout the story, but this, you're, only, you're always sticking to that one specific guy. That's the big difference. Yeah, I see. And so with that idea, with the idea of obviously wanting to create a story and so on, how did, how did the, the evolution of the, the platforming elements come along? Because it seems to, see, to be a lot like things like Sonic and the Secret Rings and other 3D platformers uh, on the Wii. Yeah, that's it. We, we, uh, we were really influenced with all these games, games like you know, Zelda and Mario and all these great Nintendo games. And the, the, the elements came, essentially, we wanted to make sure we were doing something fun with that hero once you had it, that you can change him, do whatever you want, and then it opens up new game mechanics, uh, new, new ways to interact with the world. So for us, the, you know, we, we don't have the platforming element in the sense that you don't have to time your jump right, and there's no moving platforms and things like that. But you will need to at some point, try to explore and get to every nook and cranny of the world. And, you know, yes, you will have to make the jump, but you'll need the right legs to make the jump. You might need wings to be able to glide to the other side. You might need uh, the, the right fins to be able to swim. That's right. more the way we, uh, we interpreted the whole platforming element. Uh, as I said, we're big Nintendo fans. For us, it was important that our game reflected the platform and took advantage of what the platform has to offer, yeah. uh, mostly because of the controls. Obviously, the Wii Remote and the Nunchuck. Uh, and we showed it to some uh, people from Nintendo throughout the, the, the development cycle, and we got some really good comments out of them. And they really liked the direction we were going with it because we were really making this a strong story, an exciting game. We were looking at the right demographic for it, uh, and we were actually using the controllers and essentially everything that the Wii has to offer in the best possible way. You, meant, you mentioned, obviously, that, that Spore Hero is going for a, a particular demographic. Um, it's, it's obviously a much younger market, I think, than the original Spore on, on PC went for. Um, how do you think the game is going to do against other uh, youth-oriented games? You've got things like Crash Bandicoot and Legend of Spyro. What's, what stands out about Spore, do you think? 
Well, I mean, we the the the, the main thing that we have that actually nobody else has is the powerful creature editor. I mean, we were able to put the full creature editor with all the functionality and make that run on the Wii. Uh, I mean, it was an impressive achievement to make that on the PC last year. So uh, we were actually very impressed. At first, we didn't even know we were able to do it, but we managed to put all the creature editor on the Wii. So any other game might have stories that are you know, as good or probably less because, I, of course, ours is better. But I mean, <laughs> they might have a compelling story. They might have some exciting game mechanics. They might have visuals that are almost as good. But none of them has anything that comes even close to the creature editor and all the fun and creative power that you can get out of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, it was an achievement on the PC when it was released. So to see it on a, on a Wii, you yeah. know, three years after its release is very impressive. Yeah, and we do have all the parts that were available on the PC game, and we also have all the parts from the Cute and Creepy expansion pack, <laughs> and we did add a few more of our own. So throughout the game, you'll actually be able to, if you play the whole game, you'll be able to reproduce anything you've been able to create on the PC. Yeah, which is fantastic, really. I mean, um, with that said, obviously, you mentioned the uh, Cute and Creepy expansion pack. Is there going to be any sort of uh, downloadable content, creature parts, or future add-on discs that you can that you can foresee? Uh, nothing that I can talk about. Okay, <laughs> I'll put that down as a strong no comment. Um, but obviously, one of the other um, very compelling things about Spore on the PC is the the ability to show off your other creations. I think within a few weeks, the PC website had millions of, of monsters. Is there going to be any way to share your creations with other Wii players? See, that's, uh, that was a very difficult decision for us. Yeah. Uh, the one thing is uh, we are working on a Nintendo platform, and right. Nintendo has some very strict guidelines about what you can and cannot share. And it was a, it, it was a question of did we want to give the player the full creative power or do we want to restrain that and allow him to show that to anybody? So we went the way of... You're playing your game, you can share with people when they come over, but essentially you can create anything you want as long as you keep it to yourself, in a yeah. sense. I know that you obviously, you're not really connected to the DS one, but I did wonder if there's going to be yeah. any, any sort of uh, connection content between Spore Hero and Spore Hero Arena at all? Well, the, the main connection is, you know, the, the PC game did not have a very detailed story. In the sense that it's, uh, it was mostly a playground, and then you watch things evolve. In our game, and in the DS game, we actually got the opportunity to flesh out the whole Spore universe, to create uh, a mythology and legends that come with the world. So we did work closely with the DS version to make sure that our stories sort of intertwined, and that we brought some elements, and then they, they sort of built upon it. Uh, but that's about as far as it goes. Okay, that's fine. Um, what would you say is one thing about uh, Spore Hero that you think is going to most surprise gamers who are going to pick it up when it's released? Uh, well, other than the obvious, which is the creature editor, yeah. I'd say definitely the visuals. Uh, you know, the one reason why Maxis came to uh, EA Montreal for, uh, for the development team of this game was because EA Montreal has some of the most experienced people working with the Wii. It's a very young platform, but, I mean, 
We've done Boogie, Boogie Superstar. There was SSX Blur that was done in Montreal. Uh, Skate It was done in Montreal. And we also had worked uh, helping different projects uh, throughout the year with that. Also, Need for Speed Nitro was created in Montreal. There's a lot of really talented and experienced people that have worked on the Wii, which means that we were able to uh, uh, make use of some of the technology that was created, for instance, with Boogie, some of the shaders that were used in there, and some of the the other uh, some of the other projects. So we uh, we managed to get a visual style that is going to set the bar for games on the Wii. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, without even looking, just by thinking, they say, oh, the Wii, yes, it's nice, but it doesn't look as good as any other game on the PS3 or 360. Mm -hmm. But when you start off knowing exactly what the machine can do and you, you get a file that fits with that and you really push it to the limit, you get something that's really polished and looks just amazingly beautiful. And I think that uh, throughout the, the, the promotional uh, events that we've done, it is the one thing that surprises people the most. It's just how amazingly good this game looks. Like you say, I mean, obviously, it is a very, look, very, very nice looking game. With the PC, a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of hoo ha was made about the animation. And I know in the Wii version that you've managed to, to sort of have another procedural animation. But I mean, how did you go about creating that for Wii when you've got all this uh, variety with the creature creator? It must have been a nightmare. Yes, indeed. Uh, some of our engineers uh, impressed us to no end with that. I mean, when when we put in the creature editor, we had no choice but to also port the, the procedural animation system mm. uh, because it, it allows you to create any shape and form you want, so we actually need to have the animation fit with the new skeleton. Uh, it was a huge challenge for our animation team because on the PC game, you're sort of a little bit more far removed from the character, so you mm. see it from a, a lot farther, usually the character is smaller on screen, and you also feel a lot more detached from the character. In our game, you are playing the guy. You are actually controlling it one-to-one. -one. And we wanted to have, as I said, the Nintendo sort of humor to our game. Mm. So the animations, whatever you look like, the animations have to be able to convey emotion. They have to be able to convey humor. That was a huge challenge for the animation team. They, they, they definitely pulled it off. Lovely. Thanks ever so much, Matthew. And thanks again to Matthew, Rich and EA for these interviews. And don't forget, you can check out all the latest news and screenshots of Dead Space Extraction and Spore Hero over at Nintendo Live as the game's winter release dates approach ever quicker. We're quickly running out of time in this month's episode as well, so I will crack on with our amazing Metroid Prime Trilogy competition exclusively for UK residents, courtesy of the fine folks over at Nintendo UK. You could win a Wii console and a copy of Metroid Prime Trilogy to play on it, and four lucky runners-up will win their own copy of the Metroid 3 Piece 2. All you have to do to stand a chance of winning is answer our ridiculously tough question. Samus Aran is A. A space pirate. B. A bounty hunter. Or C. A supermodel. When you think you've got it cracked, best of luck to you. Head on over to the competitions page at Nintendo Life. That's nintendolife.com slash competitions slash Metroid underscore Prime underscore Trilogy. Make sure you answer the question before Friday, September the 4th and keep your fingers crossed. Please remember, please, you must be a UK resident to claim this prize. Full terms and conditions are over at nintendolife.com forward slash competitions forward slash Metroid underscore Prime underscore Trilogy. Well, that's about it now for this episode of the Nintendo Life podcast. The next edition is due to land on Monday, September the 28th, so make sure you subscribe to our feed in the meantime to keep up with all the news that you might miss. You can even do it with Twitter if you just follow us on the username Nintendo Life. 
Now we've got one last little treat and an interview to hit you with. Recently I spoke to Baby Dave from Pint Shot Riot, a UK band signed to EA's music label and soon to appear on FIFA 10. I asked Dave about life and gaming, but I'll warn you, he may not be the world's biggest Nintendo fan. How long have you guys been together and how did you sort of get together? Um, yeah, Rocket and Mini Rocket, that's the singer and the drummer. They're cousins and they had a band in Coventry and their bass player left and I was introducing them for some mutual contacts and um, so we hooked up, started to form Pop Shot Riot, but um, then our guitarist had to leave. So we found uh, the guitarist we've got now, Rob, working at a studio which we were using at the time. Just with the gaming stuff, um, what's been your biggest gaming achievement of the year, either as a one piece or you know as a band? Personally, that would be my 31 fight unbeaten streak on UFC Undisputed <laughs> so that's Xbox Live so um, I don't know if you N- Nintendo people would necessarily yeah, yeah. I'm well aware of uh, well aware of UFC it's a cracking game isn't it oh absolutely legendary game brilliant yeah. who'd, you, who'd you play as um, oh I'm a Ken my creative character I've created up and all that yeah oh, <laughs> does it look does it look like you well, it didn't look like me no but the thing is it didn't have stats which were any better than like the characters which were already in the game, but people just assume that they just don't want to play it then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Were you guys Nintendo fans at all growing up? Um, personally, I was um, more of a Sega boy. Oh, like, yes, that's the right answer. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm a Sega man myself. I'm just doing this on the you know on the side, keeping it quiet. I was going to say, the Nintendo people in the office must, like, yeah, you, they must gang up on you sometimes. Then. Yeah, afraid so. <laughs> I basically, you know, you, you can be into both, I suppose, you know. It's, not, it's, it's like music, isn't it? Like, you should never like argue about music and stuff. It's it's like you can be into Nintendo and you can be into Sega. You know, it's the same sort of thing. So yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, um, your music is is pretty easily. I would guess it. I guess you get pigeonholed a lot as Britpop, indie. I mean, what kind of your more left field influences that maybe aren't obvious listening to your music? So separately, personally, I listen to all kinds of things like jazz and death metal occasionally. A bit of a leftover from my youth there. Um, <laughs> And you know, prog rock, and all kinds of music. And there's two types of music, we're always saying. It's good and bad, really. What was it like the first time that you heard one of your tracks in an in an EA game? <laughs> yeah, that's that was that was a bit of a moment. Well, when Fight Night Four came out, it was the demo was ready to download on Xbox Live. <laughs> Sorry, Nintendo people. No, that's all right. I'll just crop crop that out. <laughs> Just put the overdub with somebody saying like we. Yeah, I'll just censor it. It'll just beeped out. That's all. <laughs> and uh, so I saw it flash up, and I was like, okay, let's download that because I knew we were going to be part of it, but I didn't expect us to be on the demo, and we were. And as Ricky Hatton came down to the ring, and our song kicked in, yeah, that was the, the moment you mentioned there, the exciting time. And I went, oh my god! <laughs> and um, as I started telling my manager as well, I was actually drinking a pint as you do at the time, and I just stood up and knocked the pint all over the floor, <laughs> and it was a bit, yeah, Mr. Bean-esque there, I was like, oh, oh my god, oh my god, we're back. <laughs> So, how do you know you've made it when you're spilling your own pints and not someone else doing it for you? Right, anyway, uh, I know you've got a jet off and we are out of time, sadly, as well, but if you want to introduce your single, then we will play the podcast out with Pint Shot Riot. Hi, I'm Baby Dave at Pint Shot Riot. This is our song, Not Thinking Straight, which will be part of uh, FIFA 10 later this year. Lovely. Thanks ever so much, Dave. All the best, mate.